0: Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles today, if you would, to the book of Romans Romans chapter 12, and we're going to read those first two famous verses. Romans chapter 12. and We will begin reading, of course, in verse 1. We want to read verse 1 and 2. Oh, it's a famous passage. But it's one of those passages I... I don't remember which one this week, but there was a scholar that I read that talked about uh, how angry he would get when he would buy a tub of tomatoes at the farmer's market and find out that underneath, after you moved the two or three on top, there was only one down there, and it just kind of held them up. And made you think you were getting a whole lot more than you were. But uh, He talked about this passage. He said, it's the opposite. When you start peeling into these two verses, you get a whole lot more than you ever dreamed you were going to get. He starts with the word there for, and I want to just say a word before we get any further than there. This is the fourth time he's used this word. He doesn't it, place it recklessly. It's not filler. It's a transitional device. Paul has given us doctrine, and then he will give us a truth after that, a very powerful truth after that. The first one is in Romans 3.20. We call it the therefore of condemnation. It says that therefore there is no flesh that is justified by works. He's laid it out before that, and then he gives us the truth in 5.1. It's the therefore of justification. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, not because we started living differently, not because we changed our ways, not because we started reading our Bible, not because we stopped cussing, not because we stopped or started whatever. We are justified by faith. And then in 8.1, there is the therefore we would call of assurance. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then we get to this one, which is the fourth one. And he really transitions the whole book this time. He's going to not just give us theology and then sum it up in a great truth. He has given us all of this prior to chapter 12 a ton of great theology, a ton of great ideas uh, about God and truths about our relationship with Him and what it means to be born again and all of that. Now He's going to transition and move through what we would call the continental divide of the book of Romans. From this point on, it's going to be application of all He said. So this fourth therefore is very powerful. The therefore of application it takes everything he said so far and he's about to admonish us to put it to use ff bruce uh new testament scholar some of you probably have heard of i'm sure but he said doctrine is never taught in the bible that that it may be known it is taught in the bible that it may be translated into practice Now you might not know F.F. Bruce but I bet you will know who said in John chapter 13 verse 17 if you know these things blessed are you if you do them that was Jesus I hope you know him it's more than just teaching us doctrine it's more than just learning deep truths therefore having heard all of this he said this is what we need to do Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. We'll talk about that. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is the will or the what the will of God is as we live these truths we prove to the world that yeah this works this is how you have a good marriage this is how you have a life where you have blessing and fulfillment and joy, no matter what's going on around you. This works, he said, and by doing the will of God, he says you prove to the world that what God has said is the truth. You can preach it, but when you do it, that's when you bring the proof. That which is good and that which is acceptable and perfect. In August of 1587, most of you weren't born then, there was a group of English settlers who arrived in a part of what is now in North Carolina, a place called Roanoke Island. They were there for a while, and their leader had to go back to England and get supplies and bring them back to them. When he left, and I've forgotten his name now, simple name, but when he left, he got back to England, and about that time a war broke out between the English and the Spaniards, and Queen Elizabeth declared that all ships would have to stay and fight in the war. So it took him a while to get back, and when he got back to Roanoke, you remember what he found. Nothing. It's one of the greatest mysteries in United States history. We have no idea what happened to those people. We have thought before that maybe uh, they were killed by Native Americans. Uh, we, we don't know, but boy, if they did, they they just didn't leave a trace uh, at all. Uh, maybe some have said they just moved on. They they left the settlement once he did not return in time, and they just kind of meshed into the indigenous people there, and and we don't really know what happened to them. We've, we have a few shards of pottery from here and there, but nothing that really is definitive. Some say a deadly storm came. We know on the coast you can have those, and... And perhaps it just wiped them out just just but they are it's called the Lost Colony and, and, uh, at Roanoke Island and, and it's a mystery as to where did they go? Where are these people? How did they just disappear? I say that to you because I want to ask a question: Where is the church and what happened to it? I, oh, I know we're here today, and I'm I, I, I'm glad. But it's you and I that need to tussle with this question uh, a little bit. And I suppose we probably ought to start out by by saying, well, well, who is the church? But when you look around in our churches today, and I know we've gone through the COVID thing and all of that. Boy, we've got a great crowd today. There are tons of churches that would just die to have a crowd like this. And and, and I appreciate so much uh, you being here. Uh, But you know how church is. When you come, we jump on you for all those that didn't come. That's how church works. But I would love for us to think about this. Were were they killed by the enemy? Is that why they're not here anymore? I can't tell you. I'm telling you. I could, sometimes, honestly, I do break down in Christ, it's just just rare, but when I look back at people that, I mean, walked with us, I mean, they were here, they were part, they were up here, some of them, And, and, and some of them was their dearest friends that I had in my life, and they're gone. And they're gone. And I know maybe some of them are in different ministries now. I'm not talking about that. I still have contact with those. I still am close to those people. I'm still brothers uh with them. And and communicate with them, uh, those brothers and sisters that are out there serving somewhere else. But I, I wish that was the case most often, but it's not. What happened to the church? Where Where did they go? Maybe they were killed by the enemy. Maybe... Sure enough, they, they, they were really not born again and they were trying to live it out in their own power. And when the enemy turned up the heat, when they tried to fight the temptation or fight the frustration or, or they tried to live for God out of their own power, they just died on the spot. You, you will have that. It, it will happen. Remember what Jesus said about the four souls. Some of them, Uh, the seeds did sprout, and they did sprang up, and and some of them grew rather quickly, but they didn't last. Maybe they have also assimilated into the indigenous population. That happens to a lot of churches. I know a lot of churches that used to stand for the truth, and a lot of uh, people that at one time said, I am a Christian, and now it's so hard to even know what that means. We have taken the church, and instead of allowing the church and the gospel of Jesus Christ to change the world, the world has changed the church. And and the world has changed, uh, not the true gospel, but it, it's, it preaches a different gospel. It might be all-inclusive uh, to the degree that it, it, it falls into falsehood and heresy or, or, or whatever it might be. But I know of a, a lot of people that maybe they don't even attend church anymore. Oh, they're still a Christian. But they just assimilated kind of into the indigenous population around there, sitting at home this morning, where those, all those other people are. Well, <laughs> that can happen. Maybe it was a deadly storm. I know sometimes we can face that as well as Christians. Sometimes, uh, man, s- storms can come and, and, and wipe you out. And and boy, we need to pray for people that go through those. But if we are truly born again and we truly put our faith in God, it might knock you down. It might knock you down ten times. It might just hit you so hard that, that you don't know which ends up. And, and it may really take you off your feet. But... But I have to say, and I, and I want to, I, I'd like to just say from my own heart, because I want to be all inclusive here too, that, well, you just hang in there and, and, and those people will come around. Well, they will, but Jesus said not all of them would. He said, the man that built his house on the right foundation, he'll withstand it. But he said, those who didn't, they won't be back. They're gone. It's amazing. I think one of the questions we need to ask before we look at the text too is: if we're wondering where the church is, who is the church? What are we looking for when we we're talking about the church? You know, it's amazing. Um, uh, I, I I love this time of year because uh, my sports back. I like football, and uh, and so you know it's. Uh, uh, But when I watch a sporting event, I realize they figured out something that the church still hasn't figured out. They have a clear distinction between spectators and players. You never see the coach get mad and go, Hey, there were 5,000 people sitting at that end of the stadium and not one of them tried to block that field goal. I'm just so frustrated, I think I'm going to quit. It's not their job. They didn't come there to play they came there to be entertained that's why they're there they came there for you to focus on them and to give them a good show and to make sure their seat was comfortable and make sure they could see and and and, and all of that and and to to give them a good day and 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 usually churches just like football games you you've got 22 on the field that desperately need a, a break and you got Thousands in the stands that could desperately use some exercise. But they keep them separated. In our churches, we've sort of blurred that line. Uh, we, I don't even know if we in our churches could really, uh, and most churches could really tell you what does it mean to be a born-again child of God and to truly have a relationship with the Lord. What is the difference in somebody who's sitting in a church this morning and someone who truly has a relationship with Jesus Christ it can be very different. It can be very different just because of where you sit means absolutely nothing. Well, let's talk about this and let's look at these two verses. And I want to share with you this morning a word about being the church. Not going to church, but being the church. What is that like? What is it like when we glorify God by shining in this darkness? I I, I talked to the men Wednesday night, and man, we've got plenty of darkness in our world right now. We've got some of the craziest things going on. Um, I've done well lately uh, erasing most of what I put on Facebook before anybody could read it. Oh, Lord. I'm so disgusted, I, and I, I just, I, I've just had it. I've never seen such stupidity in all of my life. I've never seen such a disregard for human life. I've never it just—I could go on and on—and I told the men the other night. I said, "Man, I'm your guy. If you just want to sit around and yap about how bad it is, I, I can do it with the best of them. But that's not what God called me to do. He didn't call me to yap. He called me to shine in the darkness. And we're to be a light in this darkness. And I can tell you, the darker it is, the the more uh, present that light is. The the brighter that light seems to be, and And you know how it is. Some nights when the moon's bright, you can just kind of walk around outside. But some nights when it's not or when it's cloudy, man, I can tell you, uh, a light is life or death. And our darkness has, it's, it has grown just uh, so thick in our world today, if we could stand up right now, if we could get our act together in our churches, and I'm, I'm hoping it's going to happen here in Sandy Run and this whole area this week as we have revival, but if we could get our act together, we could be a light in this darkness. We could be salt and, and light, which is what Jesus Christ has called us to be while we're in this world. How do we do it? Well, we do it two ways. There's two ways we're going to shine in this darkness and be the church. One is through our worship of God. Through our worship of God. Paul says, let me tell you a few things you need to never forget. One, it's a very practical operation, really. The worship of God, he starts out in verse 1, he said, Present your bodies. In Greek culture, the culture that permeated that society in Paul's day, they cared nothing about the body. I mean, they just used it for pleasure and and whatever, but as far as it being any more than a receptacle for other things, they never included the body. They didn't feel like that the true gods, and they had so many of them, but in their mythology, gods didn't care about physical things on the earth and That's why when John writes his gospel, he is writing to those who were Greek Christians. And man, he tells them right off the bat. I can tell you that God does care about the physical. As a matter of fact, Jesus Christ created everything. He was with God. He was God. And there was nothing made that He did not make. And He makes that clear in the very opening prologue of His gospel. Paul says it includes our body and our mind and our soul, which it, it is some about what we do with presenting ourselves, our lives to God. It's not just some spiritual thing. There are two extremes and we see them all the time. One is my faith is all about what I do. That, that's, that's an extreme and it's wrong. I don't cuss or chew or whatever or I don't this or I don't that and and I do this and I do these other things over here and and I always make sure that I'm I'm spot on in this area of my life and all about that we make it all about what we do that is not what our relationship is to be about that is an extreme that we need to avoid legalism will kill a church quicker than anything I know But then there's the other extreme, and we see a lot of it today. Faith's all about the heart. I don't really have to do anything. It's just something inside of me, I feel. As a matter of fact, we've almost got things now to where you can be a Christian without being a Christian. Do you realize that if you go online, you can Google it, there are websites for Christian atheists. How can you be a Christian atheist? That's like being a great, big, little guy. How do you do that? I know, don't get me started, I'll be back on Facebook. But boy, we got some people nowadays that they think, yeah, you can be whatever you want to be. You don't have to be a boy. You don't have to be a girl. You can be man. We got about 150 things listed. They just have assaulted every piece of common sense that's left on this earth. I understand that, but I can tell you, if you say I am a Christian and oh, but I, I, it's I'm in the heart. I, I don't go to church. I love this line. I, we just not a part of organized. Religion. What in tarnation does that mean? Well, we just. Well, what are you? How can you be part of the body of Christ and live outside the body? We've talked about it before, and if you read on the very next few verses, we won't have time to go there today. But Paul talks about we are all part of one body. If you do a liver transplant, they won't send it FedEx. Okay? That thing's coming in a Learjet. It won't sit around in a warehouse. Because a liver, okay, it can't exist long outside of a body. It will die. And you will die if you don't soon get it. So all of our... Parts of our body, they have to be connected. We have to be part of the body. Otherwise, the individual parts die and the body dies. That's how God created us. We are the body of Christ. So all that jazz about, well, I'm a private Christian. I'm i am more of a Christian of the heart. And, and when you start out and you've got to do that much explaining, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. It is about presenting our physical bodies, our time, our effort, our sweat. That's part of it. It's not only practical; it's intentional. He says, "Present yourselves," and he says, starts out with the word "I urge you" or "I encourage you." Parakaleo is a word that means to encourage. It's a uh, the word for comforter, the one. Um, that comforts us the holy spirit the one called alongside us kaleo is calling para is alongside the one called alongside us paul says i'm coming alongside you and I'm encouraging you. It's like you're running a race and you're kind of falling off the pace some and you're giving out and you feel tired. When you get that way, that's when the Holy Spirit comes alongside us and it begins to encourage us and lift us up. And it begins to help us as, as we go through this life. And, and boy, I can't tell you how many times in the last year of my life personally that, boy, the Holy Spirit has been near and dear as the parakaleo, the Comforter, the one called alongside. Paul said, that's what I'm, I'm doing here. I'm I'm not giving you a command that you just got to go do it. No, I'm encouraging you to do this because one, if you're a Christian, you're going to want to do it, and if you're not a Christian, you're not going to do it, no matter what he says. It's intentional. Present yourself. The word "peristemi" for present is—it's a word for soldiers that make a presentation. It's like, you know, when the drill sergeant walks back and forth and calls you a maggot and a scumbag and all of that and tells you I'm your mama and your girlfriend now and your whole life has changed and I'll kill you if you don't act like you like it and, you know, all that cool stuff. When I was growing up, I thought, man, it would be cool to be a, a, a drill sergeant. You can just really jerk people around and they can't say anything back. they just stand there scared to death remember my dad told me when he was in the Navy and he went through boot camp out in California, he said, all I did one day, we had been doing push-ups in the heat and in the sand, and he said, all I did was, he said, I took my hands and I just wiggled my fingers at attention, and he said, I was way back in the crowd, but I was just trying to get the sand out of my fingers. He saw me. He said, "I got to do some more push-ups." So you get privileges in the military like that. Oh, I know. We laugh all the time at my brother. He joined the navy because he's tired of being told what to do. How cool is that? Showed us. Present yourselves, he says. Step forward. Attention, my Stand ready. Present yourself to God. Whatever you want me to do, Lord. I'm yours. Wow. It's also reasonable, practical, intentional. It's also reasonable what he's asking us to do. When we're called to worship God, it's, it's reasonable. Look in verse 1. It is your spiritual service of worship. That is so hard to translate in a way that makes sense to us, but I'm going to try. Spiritual is the word logikos. Now, that's really more the word logic. And then, uh, latria is the word for service. Latria was a word that meant you went to work and you worked for somebody and you got paid for what you did. It was an old word that was used for just going to work. So what Paul is saying to us here is even though you may just be going to work it might not be something that's spiritual but he said it is spiritual if you do it for the glory of god he says so when you do go to work and i like what barclay says about this uh, particular verse he says if it's some ordinary thing that you do in the shop or in the factory or the shipyard, or the office, or wherever it might be in your life. Whatever it is you do, he says, it becomes your service to God. It is a way that you glorify God. So do your job, whatever it is. It's logical. He said, this is your logical, reasonable way of glorifying God. Present your bodies and use the work of your hands and the work of your mind. To glorify God. Wherever you work, work there like Jesus worked there. Let people know by your work ethic. And don't show up late. And don't act like you don't care. uh, And don't worry about whether they appreciate it or not. If you're a born again Christian, do it for the glory of God. He says that is just your logical, everyday way of worshiping God. Let them know that, hey, if Jesus worked here, this is how he would do it. And he talks about our motivation for it. And I'm going to say this and we'll move to our next verse. He says, do all of this in light of the mercies of God. If you don't do it for God because he has been so good to you, if you don't love him because he first loved you, it'll get old. you quit. Really. It, it, it won't last long. It'll start seeming religious. You won't like it. Church will get boring. I, I, I grew up in church, man. It was boring. I remember our pastor, when I was a little kid, because, man, back then, one, you didn't get up and move around. You didn't look around. You didn't do anything. Uh, You just sat there. And our preacher would just preach and preach and preach. And it would get long and just oh, man, a lot. And I remember as a kid him talking about, boy, when we get to heaven, it's going to be like one big, long church service. And I just sat there as a little boy thinking, oh, Lord. Didn't he say there's somewhere else you could go? Now I understand that. I don't care for that either. But I can tell you this. If you do it, if you love him and serve him because he first loved and served you, if you do it in light of his mercies, I can tell you something, friend. You won't have to be entertained. You won't have to be noticed. We won't have to return your phone calls the same day to keep you happy. Our pastors won't have to show up at your house every time you stump your toe. It won't have to be like that. In a lot of churches it is like that. Because if people don't know Jesus and they're going to come and you're going to keep them, man, good luck with that. You're going to work a staff to death. you got to make them feel imported and apart and and significant and all of those things that they should find in Jesus Christ and will if they ever come to know Him as their personal Lord and Savior. They're going to have to get that from you, Pastor and from the staff, and from the church. and Oh boy, I've never in my life met more high-maintenance people than I've met at church. We've kind of gotten over that here. I really do believe Cornerstone could be a lot bigger church than it is as far as numbers. If we could take people and quit this junk of telling them, hey, that's something you ought to find in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't look for your significance from us. If you're wanting us to make you feel important and significant, man, that's going to be a big job. But if you find all that in Jesus Christ, man, i got news for you. We won't be able to run you off. You'll be here. I remember, and I I know you've heard this story so many times, but I'm going to tell it again. You can't stop me. When I first started dating Loretta, her mom and dad were lost. And I always forget to say this at the end, so I'm going to go ahead and say it now. They later got saved, okay? And now they're born-again Christians. And they love Jesus, and guess who else they love? They love me. But they didn't love either one of us when I first started dating her. And I would go to her house, and I'd wait till they go to bed because they hated my guts. And I mean, they really did. One, they didn't like pastors to start with. Plus, I was as green as a gourd. And the first time I ever went to her house, I went visiting, okay? And I was trying to get them to come to church. And they wouldn't have anything to do with it. Didn't want to talk about God. So little smart britches here decided to tell them right before I left, well, if you don't accept Christ, you need to know this. You're going to go to hell. The next time I went, I went to pick up their daughter. And they had not forgotten. Oh, man, it was a long time. It was at least a year or two. It was tough. I'd walk in and her stepdad would sit there and she would not speak to me. Wouldn't even answer the door when I'd knock. I I mean, it was tough. So why in the world did I keep going back? Why didn't I get mad, pout, and leave? I'll tell you exactly why. Because there was somebody there. Oh, yeah. They couldn't run me off. That old saying, when they threw the dishwater out, it hit me right in the face. I was always around. I'd sneak in the place. They didn't make me feel welcome, but they didn't have to because my relationship wasn't with them. It was with someone else. I can tell you, when yours gets to be with Jesus, you won't require near as much of everybody around you. By His mercies, let's move on. I'm skipping so much, but our worship of God is the first way, the second and last way we do. We shine in the dark. We are the church. We are being the church is by not only our worship of God, but doing the will of God. Notice, first of all, the demands of His will. He says, reject the mold before us to start with. He says, do not be conformed to this age. Don't be like this world. It is not our job as Christians to fit in. It's not our job as Christians to create a bridge from heathenism over to to a holy God. They've got to come to know Jesus Christ for that. We can't make lost people love Jesus. And, and I can tell you, you'll spend a lot of your life in misery and frustration trying to get people to come and serve someone they have never met and have no relationship with Him. You, you will pull your hair out. I can tell you, it, it's the, one of the hardest things in the world to do. Don't be conformed to this world. We're not supposed to be like this world. The church stood, if you look at the book of the Revelation, boy, uh, when we get near the end of our New Testament, you can see the church is standing in uh, just staunch opposition to the idolatrous claims of the state and, and those around them. And I think about churches like Thyatira and Pergamum, two of the seven churches addressed in the book of Revelation. They had a very practical reason to compromise. They were part of the, uh, or they were not part of the trade guilds because they were crooked, and 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 they also these trade guilds worship false gods. But to do business, to 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 make a living in that day, if you weren't part of the trade guilds, you would starve to death. And I think about us today, and I think about some of the things that I hear us say in our world today. Yeah, well, uh, you got to make a living. I, that's the kind of I think that would be the approach of many in the modern church today. If they were at Thyatira and they were at Pergamon and you had to be a part of something that was totally ungodly and all of that, and you knew it wasn't right, I think we would start compartmentalizing our life and say, "Well, I've got to do this, or I've got to go here, or I've got to pay some homage to this, even though it's ungodly and unrighteous, and and God has condemned it, but." But hey, I, you, you got a, a man's gotta live. When they looked at Augustine one time and told him, says he was one of the church fathers. Well, you know a man has to live. His response was, "Does he? Does he really?" It's okay to die if you die for Jesus because he died for us. Compromise. Man, we have so much of it. We have to reject that mold around us. Secondly, we have to have a renewing of the mind within us. In verse 2, he says, be transformed. By the renewing of your mind. We talked about this word last week when we talked about the transfiguration of Jesus. Metamorpho um, is the word. We get our English word, of course, metamorphosis from it. It is something that is on the inside that begins to happen that changes the outside. It's how a worm becomes a butterfly. And and I can tell you, we have to have our mind renewed the same way. Something on the inside has to start to change what's on the outside. I think sometimes we get that mixed up. And we tell people things that will change the outside, but it's not ever going to change the inside. You ought to get in church. If you're lost, you know what good it's going to do you to get in church? Nothing. Nothing unless you meet Jesus Christ. And the church wasn't designed to come together and be an evangelistic outreach. It was designed to come together and worship God, something a lost person would be totally clueless about. You think about that. We invite people to church. You ought to get in church. You ought to quit drinking. You ought to stop those drugs. (laughs) Well, all that's probably pretty good advice you're doing a couple of handfuls of math a day i'd say yeah cut back on that that'll probably help you some but it won't change your life We're trying to change the outside. We're putting a prom dress on a sow hawk, and it's not going to work. She's still going to be a sow hawk when we get done. Lipstick and all. And you know the first place she's going to head as soon as she leaves the prom, she's going to find her a big fat mud hole and get right in the middle of it. And man, is that dress ever going to look as ugly on the outside as she does on the inside. Don't start on the wrong side. Tell people they need a change of heart. And when Jesus Christ changes your heart, it will start showing up on the outside. You can't hide it. I hear about these private Christians. How can that be? If the tomb could not hold Jesus Christ, If he came forth because he was alive and he was not going to live inside of a tomb when he was fully alive, if he is fully alive in your life, he's not going to live in that tomb either. He's going to come out and people are going to notice. It's going to change the the way you live your life, the way you treat your wife, the way you raise your kids, the way you treat your husband, the, the, the way you just... Carry yourself. What you do with your time, you'll discover I don't own anything. I'm a steward. God owns everything. It's not how much of mine I want to give to Him. It's how much of His I plan on keeping. That's the decision that I make from week to week. That's not a decision lost people make. They say things like, well, they got more money than I do. It's all right. Say that all you like. I'm not going to try to change the outside. I'm not going to tell you if you'll start giving money, it'll change your life because it won't. But if you let God change your life, you'll all give every blooming thing you have because you'll realize you don't have anything, that every last bit of it belongs to Him. Sound crazy? I bet it does it to you who know him as your Savior, does it? That doesn't sound crazy at all. You figured it out a long time ago, did you not? When you got saved, you're like the UPS driver. That stuff in the back doesn't belong to you. You just have the responsibility to get it to the people to whom it does belong. And everything you have in your life, your money, your house, your time, your whatever, that does belong to you. We're, uh, Christians are, are like the FedEx man. We are responsible to get those things wherever they go. We're not able to get in the back of the truck and start whacking open boxes with a box cutter and decide, hey, that looks like a flat screen right there. It's not our stuff. Uh, It's a metamorphosis. It has to change, the renewing of our mind, the demands of his wills. Secondly, talking about doing his will, the description of his will three words he uses one it's good agathos is a word it just means God's always going to be good we like to say oh God is good all the time all the time God is good and that is so true he's always going to be good and he's always going to stand for what's good so If somebody comes to you tomorrow at work and tells you, look, I'm not not happy and I believe God is leading me to divorce my spouse. See, you'll know already on that. God's not doing that because God is good. Remember, we said it all the time. All the time. God is good. doesn't just mean He is good. He does what's good. He does what's right. And when we do his will, it's going to be good. That's his good will. We show the world what God's good will is. How do we feel about the sanctity of life? That's already settled. There's no exceptions to that whatsoever. I, it's it's crazy. Uh, I'm... I guess nothing frustrates me more. There's not an issue in our world that frustrates me more than the fact that we still are able to take an unborn child and end its life. And I'm going to be really frank with you. The the way that the reason that we can do that is because we still have so many people who ooh, hate abortion and wished it would end and vote for it every four years. That's why we got it. You hating it had not stopped one yet. Well, I, I didn't like the other fellow. I got all that. But I can tell you, don't tell me how bad you hate abortion and you keep voting for it. We know who's for it. We're about to get rid of the Hyde Amendment. We've already changed just since the first of the year, the Mexico City law. If You don't know what all those things are. That just means more babies are going to die because people that said they are against it voted for it and i put that on facebook but i'm disciplined and i don't do that anymore it's good his will won't be some shenanigan you want to pull just because you're tired of being married. It won't allow you to take something that doesn't belong to you. It won't allow you to end a life that God has sanctified. It's also His will is not only good, but it is acceptable. It means that it is pleasing to God. It might not be pleasing to everybody else, but His will is always pleasing to Him. And here's one of the things that we have to make sure we get, friend. A true man of God who preaches the word is somewhat like an umpire. He takes a brush out of his back pocket and he'll a dust home plate off, but he doesn't move it. He makes sure that we can all see it. But he doesn't make it wider or more narrow on one side or scoot it around to get a desired outcome. He just takes the will of God that God has nailed into the earth and he makes sure everybody can see it. I don't write the word of God. I am responsible to make sure we know what God's word has to say. It's acceptable to God. That was a big deal in the Old Testament. When you brought a sacrifice It had to be acceptable to God. And then last of all, as we close, His will is perfect. His will is perfect. The word perfect is teleos. It's different than our English word perfect. It means more than just flawless. The word perfect in the Greek, we, you hear the word tele like telephone, television. Uh, there's a branch of theology that studies the outcome of things called teleology. I know you want a degree in that. Um, but tele means t- to reach out to something. A telephone reaches out to something, uh, a, a television. Uh, it reaches out to something. It takes you to a place out there somewhere. And so when something is teleos, it has it has hit its target. It has reached out and, and it's found its spot. It, it's moved uh, from where it is. It's, it's complete. That's maybe a better word for this. God's will is like that. His will is perfect. His will is solid. His will hits the target every day. Time. I remember years ago I went deep sea fishing. I've been several times. We were out in the Gulf, and I remember asking the captain. It was a. Uh, oh, it was only about five or six of us on the boat. This was one of those trips that just was really incredible. You know, it's not like a. You know, 85 people and all their fishing lines tangled at the same time. We were fishing for tuna down in the Gulf. and I remember I just got curious one day. Sun was dead overhead. And I looked at the captain and I said, I'm going to take a guess. Tell me if I'm right. We'd been out there for, we spent the night, so this was the second day we were out there. I said, land is that way. He just smiled. I don't think I was completely off, but it was more like that way. I'm so amazed by that. There's nothing out there to relate to. Now, if the sun's just coming up, I can find east, okay? I'm like that. I should have been a scout. And when it goes down, I can find West. It's just a sense I have. I'm like got some Native American blood in me, probably. I don't, I don't know. but I can find those things. But when it's dead overhead, I better not be driving the boat. You wind up in Africa. Think about the old mariners. How far did they have to go to find something? that they could align with that didn't move so they would know where they were going. How about 33 light years from here? Because they would find Polaris, the North Star, and they said it didn't move. Now, they didn't realize, well. None of them really move. But because the earth turns and it's right over the axis, it'll be in the same place every night. Our world, my point is this. They're like me in the middle of the day, in the middle of the gulf. They have no point of reference anymore. Right? Wrong? Wrong? What does that mean? Who decides? Do do you not even notice, and I'm sure you do, it's almost like the world is giddy about its newfound freedom. I might look like a man, but I identify as a binary, multinary, whatever, uh, trans-nary something or another, uh, androgynous, uh, I'm making up words here, uh, whatever. They don't even want you to assign birth to children the day they're born. Now, I'm not a doctor. But I can tell you if it's a boy or a girl. It's another one of my talents. There's a lot more to me than you thought. Our world loves not having a compass. It's willing to sacrifice what is right and what is good as long as they never have to call anything wrong and bad. That's what they want. And, and if you think, well, that's, yeah, that's kind of come on as of late. Not really. I remember a man and a woman one time, probably heard this story. They lived in a garden. And the one that gave them the garden told them they could eat from every tree in it but one they never were going to eat all the stuff in that garden but one day they had a little visitor showed up and he got the woman curious about why did the one who created this place why did he not want you to eat of that tree and i love this part we miss it sometimes he asked it in the form of a question. Has God really said? Same way He asks questions nowadays, young people. Is it really wrong? You're in love with your girlfriend. You should be able to do that. Oh, you're not married. Well, that's old fashioned. Just keep listening, He'll keep asking questions. And if you listen long enough, He's got you. He's got you. We live in a world that has no compass. We are to be the light in this dark world, friend. And we are to be the ones that are pointing in the direction of God. We need to do that. we got to get our own act together. we got to quit fighting and fussing with each other so much. we got to quit being so hard to please sometimes. We've got to make sure, first of all, we have a relationship with the one that we're pointing people to. We've got to make sure that we truly have that with him. But then in this old dark world, we need to be pointing people to God. And I know it may seem like to you, and it does to me sometimes, like nobody cares. Don't believe that. Because I want to tell you something, friend. There are people in this world that if they ever do hear the gospel, it's going to be the greatest news they ever heard in their life. Don't, don't, don't. You you be careful when you decide nobody's ever going to care. I remember when Jesus told the demoniac about it, the gospel. You remember when Jesus met him in Mark 5? Nobody believed, oh, wait till he gets a load of the naked, crazy guy. And when Jesus left, he was clothed and sitting and having a conversation and was in his right mind. You be careful deciding whether or not people want to hear it. Not everybody will. Jesus said most won't, but some will. We have to be that. Be the church. Let's pray together. As we pray this morning, if you would like to come to the front, feel, feel free to do so. If you want to come and pray for yourself or pray for someone, you feel free to do that right now. Just, just come on. Nothing magical about this place, but sometimes it helps when we stand to our feet And we move our physical body because we want God to move our spiritual. So if you need to come, I invite you to. Lord, we come to you right now and we ask you to help us, God. We live in a world of darkness, Lord. And God, we admit we've lost our way too sometimes. God we admit that as as your people sometimes Lord we forgot what our purpose was. We forgot how it was we were to glorify you. We 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 treated worship as if it was just a time of music or a singing of a hymn, God. We we didn't treat it like we should have and and doing your will, Lord, we We tried so hard to rationalize not doing it. We tried to figure out clever ways of getting around it. God, I pray right now for your church. Those who are born again Christians, I pray for us, God. I pray, Lord, that we would present ourselves as an acceptable sacrifice knowing that sacrifices don't wander off, they don't don't grow weary, they don't get up off the altar, but they're dead, God. They're dead. But, Lord, you've called us to be a living sacrifice. Help us, Lord, to understand that. Help us, God, to embrace that. Lord, I pray for those in our world that are lost today that don't know you. God, help us to stop arguing with them. Help us to stop thinking that if we just post something really clever, that'll get their attention. Or, or, or if, 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 boy, just sitting and thinking about if they were here today and they heard that sermon, Lord, help us to understand and know it wouldn't happen. Not until you touch their heart. I pray, God, that you just help them. Help them, Lord, to see that. I pray, Father, that you would speak to them like we can never. I pray your Holy Spirit would convict them. I pray for the leaders of our nation, God. Lord, we can't we can hardly imagine what it would be like to for for our president to stand before the world and, and, and tell them that he has accepted you as his Savior and that he's a born-again Christian now and, and that he wants to lead this nation in a way that glorifies you, God. That, that seems impossible, but it's not with you. I pray, God, you would help us. Help us, Lord, to spend, and especially me, less time complaining. And I pray, Lord, you'd help me to spend more time shining in this darkness, God. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.